Thank you for tuning into this webinar, How to Find Employees and Keep Them. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Carrie Cox. Carrie is a Senior Organizational Development Consultant for AGH Employer Solutions Organizational Development and Family Business Services Group. Carrie has experience in a variety of human resource functions, including a thorough knowledge of labor laws, compensation structures, employee classifications, benefits administration, performance management, and human resource best practices. She served clients in a number of industries, including manufacturing, construction, banking, and not-for-profits. Carrie is a member of the national and local chapters of the Society for Human Resource Management, certified as a professional in human resources by the Human Resource Certification Institute, and as a certified practitioner for the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Are you finding it difficult to attract and retain the right employees to run your organization effectively? You're not alone. Join Carrie as she discusses why the current employment environment is making it difficult to find and keep good talent and what you can do to improve your recruitment and retention. Thanks, Mike, and good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us here today. Mike provided you with an overview of what I do, but let me boil it down for you. So I help organizations with their pain points related to their people, and that may include anything from dealing with a tricky performance issue, helping with management training and leadership development, reviewing compensation, revising employment policies, excuse me, and many other things. The pain point that I seem to hear a constant refrain on lately is the fact that organizations cannot find enough good talent for open positions. And when they do find good talent, retention can be a challenge. Employees always seem to want more for the work that they're doing. How can organizations keep up with the demands? So that's what we're going to address today. We'll look at current employment data and trends that affect talent availability, explore strategies for employee recruitment and retention, discuss how organizational culture influences employees, and learn the importance of good recruitment and onboarding processes. So from everything I hear or read in the media, including the official government reports, the economy is looking good, job growth is strong. In April 2016, the DOL reported the lowest number of jobless claims since 1973. This, combined with other labor market data, tells us the economy is creating a lot of jobs. The July jobs report published by the Bureau of Labor Statistics showed much stronger job growth than anticipated. The U.S. added 255,000 jobs compared to the 180,000 that were predicted. Growth was strong, especially in professional and business services, healthcare, and financial activities. In addition, job listings are abundant and more Americans are voluntarily leaving their jobs for other positions, all indicators that it's easier to find a job and, become, and it's becoming more of an employee's job market. When there are more jobs available and it's easier for employees to find jobs, that means it's harder for employers to attract and retain them. And there are a number of factors that contribute to that shortage of talent in the marketplace. The first one is technological growth. So we continue to see technology grow at a pace that is much faster than our own abilities. So we have a need for more highly skilled workers. It takes more than just a body to fill a slot. Skills need to come with or be learned by that person in that role. 
We've also seen shifting demographics. So with 10,000 baby boomers reaching retirement every day, there's a need to preserve or replace the knowledge they take with them when they retire. And Generation X is a much smaller generation, so the numbers are just not there to be able to fill the gaps in those upper level and management positions with the next generation. Increasing customer sophistication is another area contributing to the talent shortage. So not only is our technology more sophisticated in how we do the work, but our customers are more sophisticated too. And they expect more from us and more quickly. That requires a different type of employee. We have to hire employees who can be adaptable to the changing environment to meet our customer needs. And finally, there's the rise of individual choice or freedom. So employees have more choices before them in what work they do and how they do it. And with technology advancing, the way that we work shifts, and, as, and we as employers have to respond or we may lose our best employees. So let's get some audience feedback with our first poll before we get too far along in our webinar. How many of you would say it's harder to fill positions today than a year ago? That'll be our first poll question. So just respond to the poll question. I am having more difficulty finding and retaining good employees today than one year ago. So it looks like 63% of you indicated agreement that you're finding more difficulty today than a year ago in terms of hiring new employees, 12% disagreed, 19% either agree or disagree, and 6% were unsure. So obviously the bulk of you feel like that is a problem for you, more so today than a year ago. So let's look at some numbers um, related to the talent gap or, or the shortage we see out there. So according to a 2015 U.S. talent shortage survey by Manpower, 32% of employers reported facing difficulties filling jobs in 2015. And in a more recent survey by the Society for Human Resource Professionals, for Resource Management, excuse me, you'll hear me refer to that as SHRM throughout the broadcast, 68% of HR professionals said they are experiencing difficulty recruiting candidates for full-time positions in their organizations. So anywhere from a third or, um, or two-thirds even are having a hard time recruiting for key positions. And the hardest jobs to fill tend to be skilled trade workers, drivers, teachers, sales reps, administrative professionals, management and executives, nurses, technicians, accounting and finance and engineers. And many of those fall into our STEM careers, those in science, technology, engineering, and math. And we'll talk more specifically on those in just a minute. So why aren't jobs being filled? Well, over a third of employers cite a lack of available applicants, so that talent shortage. And it's not just because key skills are involved. Some of the most commonly reported basic skills are in areas where we should be learning in elementary school. So writing in English, basic computer skills, spoken English language, reading comprehension and math mathematics. Those are some of the skills gaps that we're seeing in terms of having qualified applicants. And why does it matter? What kind of impact does a talent shortage have on a business? Well, nearly half of employers feel it has a medium to high impact on the ability to meet their client needs. And 41% say it reduces their competitiveness or productivity, productivity levels. Nearly one-third said it caused increased employee turnover, higher compensation costs, and lower employee engagement, all of which impact your bottom line and your profitability in your company or your organization. 
And with skilled labor and STEM careers, so those in the science, technology, engineering, and math fields, it's even worse. So skilled labor retention and recruitment remains a top concern amongst companies, especially in uh, companies and industries like manufacturing and construction where those are really important. According to the Manufacturing Institute's 2015 Skills Gap Report, over the next decade, 2 million of needed manufacturing jobs will go unfilled, resulting from baby boomer retirements, leaving an extreme surplus of open positions that will exceed the remaining pool of qualified workers. And executives report it takes an average of 70 days to recruit skilled production workers. And that translates to real dollars, so approximately 11% of annual earnings or $3,000 per existing employee is lost due to the talent shortage. And that comes across through increased overtime, increased downtime, and production cycle time. Um, in addition to sheer lack of available workers, the problem is exacerbated by a negative image of manufacturing amid, among younger generations. The key skill deficiencies in manufacturing tend to be some of those more basic areas as well, so technology and computer skills, problem-solving skills, basic technical training, and math skills. So it sounds like I'm painting a pretty dire picture um, that we're facing, but I tend to look at it as an opportunity. So how do we position ourselves to be the employer that people come to or stay at? How do we become the employer of choice? And I don't have a magic answer because there isn't one. So if you tuned in today thinking I'd give you a quick fix, then you're going to be disappointed. Um, but we're in a time period where there are a lot of challenges facing employers and the answers aren't easy but they're really important as we plan for future employment needs. So today we're going to talk about four high-level strategies, and then I'll also give you some other considerations to think about in tackling your recruitment challenges. So the first one we're going to talk about is knowing your why and selling it. So organizations that have a clearly defined purpose have a distinctive culture and are able to attract and retain certain types of individuals who succeed in those organizations. The second strategy we'll talk about is engaging your current employees to keep your workforce stable. It's just as important to create an engaged workforce as it is finding new talent to join the organization. Sometimes organizations get so focused on getting new people in the door that they forget about the longer tenured employees that are still there and plan to be there. The third strategy we'll talk about is providing on-the-job training and education programs. And this doesn't necessarily have to be job skill specific. Um, internships, professional development, personal development, those all play into that, and they are good options to provide your employees with growth and development opportunities. And the last high-level strategy we'll talk about is um, engaging in efforts through community outreach and communication which can help with reversing some of those blue-collar stereotypes for manufacturing and construction careers, or it may take on a different aspect for professionals in working with local colleges or schools to teach the skills that are needed for success or guide individuals down career paths where there is the most need. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that first strategy. When jobs are scarce, employees will take a job, any job, and hang on to it even if they don't enjoy the job or the company environment. When jobs are abundant, job seekers can be much more selective in the job that they take and choose to stay in. And this is where the job market is today, especially for skilled and technical positions. Some of these jobs require a technical degree or technical on-the-job training, but not necessarily a college education. 
and these jobs are abundant and the labor, labor pool for them is limited. So that means as an employer, you have to create a culture in which employees want to work for you and stay working for you. A culture where employees are engaged and invested in the work that they do. Because if you don't, it's easy for the skilled worker to leave your company and find a job that pays just as much or even more somewhere else. When certain skills are in demand and employees have multiple job opportunities, it's not just about the money and having a secure paycheck. It's about finding a place they enjoy working and that fits with their values. Don't get me wrong, the money has to be competitive too. But if all things are equal, you have to differentiate yourself. As an employer, you have to understand your why, your purpose. Why do you as a company do what you do? And how does that translate to the employee? Simon Sinek had a great TED talk out there that helps outline this concept. And for more deal, detail, his book is called Start With Why, if you're interested. But one of the key takeaways is that people will buy from you because of your why, your purpose, not because of what you do or sell. Customers can get the what from a number of sources. They buy from you because they believe in why you do what you do, your purpose, your passion. One of the examples he uses to illustrate this is Apple. People are so aligned with the why of Apple to innovate and challenge the status quo, their why. And that's why they'll wait hours and even days in line to be the first to get the next iPhone. It's not the what so much, but the why that appeals to those people. They buy because of the why. And it's not different with employees. Employees will join your organization, stay with your organization when they believe in your why, when their values align with your organization's values. And it goes beyond just having a statement. When your why or your purpose is clear as an employer, it bleeds into how you treat your employees and what you provide them. Because what you give them will attract certain types of employees who will best align with your purpose. And here's an example for you. So I work with a company and they manufacture equipment that has the potential to save lives. And they tout that mission and their employees get it. They regularly communicate the mission and link it to the job at an individual level. They've created a culture where each employee knows their job and how they contribute to saving lives. They get their why. Every employee can acknowledge that what they are doing makes a difference, even if it's just working as a welder or a painter on a line. They may just be a welder, but they're welding a part of something bigger, something that just may save a life one day. Those employees get it, and they're engaged in what they're doing and committed to the company's success. For the people that are successful there, it's not just about getting a paycheck. It's about building something that helps save lives. But not everyone succeeds there. People that don't get behind the mission don't work out. The company is very clear in their culture, and the people that don't align don't stay. When the company culture and individual's val individual values do line up, the employees tend to be loyal and dedicated to the company and their work. They build a culture where employees are connected to the why and therefore connected to the company. As an employer, when you know your why, your purpose, it's easier to communicate that employee value proposition to your employees, both your current employees and your prospective employees. Those employees who find that employee value proposition valuable to them will be dedicated to you and to your company. So what do I mean by that? Well, an employee value proposition includes both the tangibles and intangibles that you offer. It's what your employees get when they come to work for you. It's the tangible things like a paycheck and health insurance, but it's also the intangible things, the things that you can't put into your bank account but that make you feel good at the end of the day. 
it's a sense of purpose and building something of value or the feeling of belonging to a great team or a great company. So let's think for a minute about what makes up an employee value proposition. So there are five different categories we're going to go through here. Um, sometimes you see these assigned a little bit differently. Um, but the first one is rewards, so very basic things that we tend to think about like pay and employee benefits. The next one is opportunity. So that has to do with opportunities for advancement or improvement of self, and that can factor into things like training and development, uh, career progression, or even stability in a career or in the company. The uh, next area is organization. So what, what makes up the organization? Uh, who are the customers? How are employees empowered? Is there corporate and social responsibility that's important to the company? What's the company's position in the market? Are they um, encompassing integrity in what they do? What are the products that the organization provides or the services that they sell? And technology plays into that too. So what are the, the technology pieces that are important to the employees and to the organization there? The fourth aspect of the employee value proposition is people. So team, teamwork. Who do you work with on your team? Is there camaraderie? Uh, what's the quality of the other employees in the company? Are you all on the same page? Are you on the same level? What's the reputation of senior management? How do they fit in with the employees at a staff level? Those things all contribute to that people aspect. And then finally, there's the actual work itself. So the connection to meaningful or innovative work or how the work may be done, is there travel involved, is there workplace flexibility, how much work-life balance, how is work recognized when people do a good job, all of those things play into that employee value proposition in terms of what you offer the employee for, in return for the work they do. The why and what goes with it that employee value proposition might be very different for a nonprofit that provides services to children with developmental disabilities than to a bank on Wall Street. For an employee who's purely motivated by earning a lot of money, he or she likely wouldn't be a good fit for that not-for-profit that is very mission-driven. Even if that not-for-profit is in a very healthy financial position, their choice is to redirect that extra income to programs to help additional children rather than in bonuses for its employees. So that alignment just wouldn't be there uh, for an employee who is purely motivated by making a lot of money. And we intuitively understand that we need to align our why with our employee value proposition, but most of us don't really take the time to think through what that means, and so we're not always the best at selling that to our employees and our prospective employees. And you have to do both, so you've got to continue to sell your why to those employees who are with you day in and day out, as well as those that you are trying to attract into your organization. This is such an important part of attracting and keeping the right type of employees who will be dedicated to your why and to your organization. So we're going to go ahead and move to our next poll question, which in this one I just want to ask, how clear is your why, your mission, or purpose? So we've got a few options here. Um, one, we have a mission statement, but it's mostly lip service. Uh, second option, senior leaders understand the mission, purpose, why or all managers understand that mission, purpose, or why, all employees understand how they impact our why, or even employees and our key customers understand our why. 
So about a third of you said that all managers understand the mission, so you're at least getting it down to that manager level. 17% um, said just senior leaders know. 15% said you have a mission statement, but it's mostly lip service. 23% of you are, are doing well at getting it all the way down to your employees and making sure they understand how they connect to the mission. And then 11% of you said your employees and key customers get it. So uh, great job on some of those. Obviously, with some of you, there's some work to be done there, and that's certainly an area that you could work on and make some improvements on. Let's talk about the next strategy. Another area that's critical for employers to work on is employee engagement. So once you manage to find the right employees and get them on board, how do you get them to stay? And it's all about their connection and commitment to the organization. So what is engagement? Can you recognize it when you see it? What does it look like? And what does lack of engagement look like? I used to use a definition something like employee engagement is the willingness to go above and beyond to give extra effort. But then I realized what happens when you're willing to give extra effort but you're not able? What if you've been willing for so long that you've reached burnout and you, you don't have the ability to give that extra effort anymore? So then I rethought that definition a little bit and um, decided that employees with high levels of employee engagement tend to take personal responsibility for the success of the organization, applying discretionary efforts in alignment with the organizational goals. And that seemed like a better version of what we mean by employee engagement, in my opinion. So taking personal responsibility for the success of the organization, having that owner's mentality, while applying discretionary efforts, so um, doing more than just what's required, but making sure those efforts are in, in alignment with organizational goals, so being really clear in what those goals are. Engaged people tend to respond. When you smile, they smile. When you're polite, they're polite. When you engage them, they engage you and your customers. And they not only respond, but they actually initiate all of those interactions or actions with others. So why is it important? Well, is profit important to you? So companies with highly engaged employees indicated 5.75% higher operating margins and 3.44% higher net profit margins than those companies with less engaged employees. And shareholder returns are 9.3% higher than those for um, lower, in, lower engaged uh, on the S&P 500 index, according to a Towers-Watson survey. So those are real numbers that um, you can look at. And 3% higher net profit, that seems like a number that we would all want to strive for. A recent study by HR Magazine found that engaged employees perform 20% better and are 87% less likely to leave their organization. So if we think about the talent shortage and how we need to retain our employees as well as attract new ones, if we could just engage them better, then they're 87% less likely to leave. And disengaged employees aren't just poor performers, but they also impact the high performers around them. According to a Gallup quote from 2012, actively disengaged employees erode an organization's bottom line while breaking the spirits of colleagues in the process. Pretty powerful words there. They're eroding the bottom line while breaking the spirits of others around them. And Gallup estimates the cost of a disengaged workforce to be more than $300 billion in lost productivity alone. 
um, within the United States. These people can be toxic to your organization, and they're not only not as productive as other employees, but they also decrease the other employees' productivity levels. So let's look at some of the drivers of employee engagement that you need to focus on. First one is strategic alignment. So do your employees know how their jobs contribute to your organization's mission? If an employee doesn't understand how the job they're doing aligns with your why, your purpose, then you need to better communicate. It sounded like from the poll we just did that a number of you are doing well in that area. Others of you could certainly um, communicate that a little bit better. Another driver is trust in senior leadership. So do your leaders walk the walk and model the values that your organization promotes? Are your leaders approachable? How do people interact with them? Are, are they able to have conversations and, and give input on situations? Third driver is relationship with immediate supervisor. And this is especially important for high potential employees. You've got to give them a manager who engages and challenges them. There's an old saying that people quit their bosses, not their jobs. And in my experience, that tends to be true. Another driver is personal influence. So this has to do with whether people can give input on things and do opinions matter. Do I, as an employee, have the ability to provide suggestions for process improvements to give input on some of those changes? And even if employees' suggestions aren't implemented, it's important that they feel heard and that you always re-communicate to them why their um, suggestions weren't taken or implemented. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense for the organization, but you can address that influence by letting them know that. Another driver is clarity of expectations. So it's not just what to do, but how the employee's role fits with others and how to adapt when circumstances change. You as a manager can't be there at every point in the day, so it's important for employees to understand what's expected of them when they need to uh, make some adjustments in the work that they're doing. Another driver is having the right resources and support to get the job done. And this is a psychological motivator, or in the absence of, it can be a demotivator. So not having the right equipment and support creates job stress that employees take home with them. So you want to encourage your managers and supervisors to always ask employees, is there anything you need from me that would help you to be more effective in your job? Easy question, easy to just roll into communication on a regular basis. And sometimes it's a really simple fix, and I'll give you an example here. So I had this ongoing computer issue for a couple of months earlier in the year, and my monitors would just black out for a second or so and then come back on. And it would happen anywhere from once a day to ten times an hour. And our poor IT folks were doing everything they could to figure out the issue, but with every fix, the problem persisted. So during that time, I was so frustrated to be at work in the office. And there were days when I left work because I thought I would be more productive at home, logged in on a different computer or just off the network. And then one day, they found a solution for it, and they fixed it. And it was like angels were singing to me. Um, it, it was a great day for uh, me and my work, and, and my engagement levels, I could tell in the office, they immediately went back up. But my point is that you can't underestimate the impact that just having the right resources, tools, and that support for your employees has on their engagement and commitment to the job. Sometimes it's just those little things. Another driver of employee engagement has to do with peer culture and interactions. So if we care about the people we work with and know about them on a personal level, 
we're much willing to go above and beyond to help them or to forgive them when they mess up. And we all mess up. We spend the bulk of our time at work. Isn't it better when you like the people there or at least get along with them? This also um, has to do with whether our coworkers are committed to doing a good job. So hiring the best people and the right people for the job is really important here. Research shows that employees would rather work with someone who tries hard but is incompetent than someone who's a slacker and just doesn't care to contribute. It can be a major drain on employee engagement levels when you don't have those right people that are willing to commit to doing the job. Another driver is the nature of the job, so the work itself. Are, employ are employees in roles where they're able to do what they do best on a regular basis? Do you play to their strengths? Because work is a lot more fun when we're good at what we do and we enjoy it. Another driver um, has to do with career support and development opportunities. So employees who have the opportunity to learn and grow on the job are twice as likely to say that they will spend their career with the company, twice as likely to commit to staying. And it's just as important to review progress on a regular basis and adjust goals that you are setting with those employees. It's so much more than just the annual performance evaluation. Seeing progress against goals is a real motivator, and if you're regularly helping your employees check progress and achieve their goals for development, they will likely be more engaged and committed to your organization. Employee recognition and appreciation is another driver for employee engagement. So people tend to gravitate toward positive reinforcement, and the more um, feedback that you give, the more they want it. So they do more of the behaviors that got them that positive feedback. There are studies that show that positive reinforcement produces levels of dopamine, which is that feel-good chemical naturally produced in your body. So um, positive reinforcement produces levels of dopamine equivalent to an IV injection of amphetamine. So the brain craves it, the brain loves it, and people will alter their behavior to get more of it. So that's one of those strategies that's really easy for you to do in terms of a program that doesn't cost anything, but it's so hard for managers and supervisors to regularly engage in that um, positive reinforcement loop. And then the final driver of employee engagement, which is more of a driver of disengagement, I would say, is pay fairness. If you don't have pay right, none of the above matter. You have to be competitive on pay in the employee's mind, so it's their frame of reference, to even be in the game. So how many of these drivers that um, we just went through in the last couple of slides are influenced by management? I would say all or almost all. And for those that may not be directly influenced by management, they likely are indirectly influenced by management. Your managers and supervisors are really key and critical to that organizational culture that will drive employee engagement. No doubt many of you have seen data on employee engagement from different sources, and, and this is an example from a poll of over 23,000 employees from a wide variety of companies and industries cited in uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Eighth Habit. So in that poll, as they looked at the impacts of engagement, they found that only 37% of employees say they have a clear understanding of what their organization is trying and why. So only 37% know why they're doing what they're doing. Only one in five was enthusiastic about their teams and their organization's goals, so just 20% there. 
And same thing here, 20% said they had a clear line of sight between their tasks and their teams and organizational goals, so that influence into meeting those goals. Only 15% felt that their organization fully enabled them to execute key goals. And finally, 20% said they fully trusted the organization they work for. So going back to a number of those drivers of engagement we just talked about. And what's the takeaway here? It sounds like there was a lot of dissatisfaction or disengagement or confusion in a lot of companies. But I think the takeaway is we can do better. And to be competitive in the current environment, we have to do better. So let's focus in on one of the drivers of employee engagement that is essential in your employee recruitment and retention strategies, which is employee development. When you're clear in your culture, it's easier to hire the right person for the job. And cultural fit is huge. And the best companies are very clear in their culture and what it takes to succeed in the company. And it's not just skill. When you're clear in your culture, you can hire for attitude and character rather than just skills. Skills can be learned by someone with the right attitude and character. More and more research points to this strategy as being more successful. Most of you have probably at one time hired someone who had the perfect mix of skills and experience on paper, but they just didn't succeed in the role. And why was that? They couldn't navigate the company culture. If you hire people who share the same general company values, they will be more likely to fit into your company culture, and you can train them with the appropriate skills. Character doesn't tend to change over time, but skills can certainly be learned. On-the-job training or development can be a highly effective way of retaining good employees. Employees recognize the investment that the company is making in them, and that can lead to increased loyalty. In one of my clients, they were going through some organizational changes, and that included downsizing within the company. And there was concern that a key employee would be a flight risk. So we had a conversation and she said that as long as she had opportunities to learn and grow in her role, she was comfortable and committed. She recognized that she was learning so much in that role that she just wouldn't have the opportunity to do in a larger company or in a different role somewhere else. So there was great value in her on-the-job training and ongoing learning that created commitment to the job even when job stability was a concern for her. And she's the type that could have gone out and gotten a different job somewhere else. So that was really important that that, that development opportunity existed. Selecting candidates who don't have the relevant skills at present but do have potential to learn and grow can be a very effective recruitment strategy, too. If you have in place development programs, put them to use in your recruitment efforts. Make sure you're telling people about what those opportunities are. Internships are great ways to test an employee's ability to learn as well as their fit with your company's culture. Creating programs up the needed technical skills allows you to hire for the right attitude or cultural fit. As I mentioned earlier, according to some estimates over the next 10 years, there will be a shortfall of more than 2 million technically skilled workers for manufacturing jobs. Training employees on the job is one way you can help address that shortage. You benefit by having the employee trained in the skills you need, and the employee will be grateful and loyal in the process. Another advantage of company-provided training is that you are able to train the employee in the way you want your employees to work. Sometimes they pick up bad habits from other places, or they may just have a different way of doing things than what your internal standards are. So if you're doing the training, then you have the ability to train them how you want them to work. And technical skill development isn't the only area to consider. 
soft skill development is also important for an employee's success. So in one study of 500,000 people, out of 33 different employee skills, emotional intelligence was shown to be the single biggest predictor of performance in the workplace and the strongest driver of leadership and personal excellence. According to research by the Carnegie Institute of Technology, skills in human engineering, which they call or which incorporates an individual's personality, ability to communicate, negotiate, and lead, so human engineering, those skills account for 85% of financial success. And shockingly, only 15% is due to technical knowledge. So hiring for that right attitude or cultural fit is really important. So if emotional intelligence is the single biggest predictor of performance for individuals in your company, imagine what impact a little improvement in emotional intelligence could have on your bottom line. And these are behaviors that can be learned by your employees and even more important than technical knowledge. But the, new, the good news is they can be taught. They can be learned. It's important to remember that your longer tenured employees also benefit from development opportunities. One consideration is to provide training for employees that addresses the employee as a whole being. So these longer tenured employees may be at the top of their skill level, so there may not be a need to develop those hard technical skills. But when you address um, other areas that impact them, that can be helpful to them. So providing financial budgeting training or wellness programs or personal development opportunities or ways to address this. And it's not always about developing those technical job skills. When employees are healthy outside of work in terms of physical health and mental health and financial health and spiritual health, all of those different aspects of health, they're able to focus on the job at hand more so while they're at work. So those programs certainly can impact even though they're not directly related to the job skills. And the problem that some of us face in this area relates to budgets. In a recent um, SHRM survey, nearly one-third of HR professionals said that their organization didn't have a training budget. It's certainly difficult to provide training opportunities for your employees when you haven't prioritized that need in the organization's budget. So one aspect of development, employee development, is succession planning. Succession planning should be a part of every organization's strategy, especially as it relates to key positions. As you think about the potential successors for those key positions, consider the skills that are needed for those that are next in line and how you build those over time. Whether the employee ends up in the role or not, it's a great opportunity for the employee to grow with stretch assignments or through challenging and different tasks. As that employee learns new tasks and develops different skills, it can also provide you with backups and redundancy in the organization, which are really important in those moments of crisis or need. We buy car insurance, health insurance, life insurance, all of them just in case we have a moment of crisis or need. But only 34% of organizations have a succession plan. A succession plan is a form of insurance against bad things happening to the employees in your organization. If you have a plan and well-developed individuals who are ready just in case, your organization will be prepared and ready to respond resourcefully when those situations arise. And you know they do. You may also want to consider work-sharing programs or flexible work arrangements as you think about how you fill the talent gaps. These type of work arrangements can be a significant part of that employee value proposition. It can also be a great way to retain your retirees longer. Baby boomers are working longer than previous generations for a number of reasons. Perhaps they may want to transition to a part-time or a flexible work status but still retain employment. 
and that can be a great strategy for some companies. It'll allow you more time to continue to transfer their work knowledge to the newer employees, giving their, them longer to develop their skills. So if your company is able to offer programs like these, it may benefit both older and younger employees. So before we move on to the fourth strategy, let's go ahead and load our next poll, which is um, what is your organization's approach to employee development? So we hire people who have the skills to do the job, or when needed we train employees, or we invest extensively in internal training and development. Um, about 53% of you, so just over half, say that you train skills when needed. 23% um, of you said your focus is hiring the people that are already skilled. 21% invest pretty extensively in internal training and development. So variety there, and that's one of those areas where you can always do more um, and improve more on the skill level and the different types of training and development opportunities that you're providing to your employees. All right. So our final uh, higher level strategy we're going to talk about is an area that's been getting more attention and especially in certain industries and that's community engagement. So there are a couple of aspects of community engagement and outreach and one involves preparing students and their parents for the reality of the job market, so the fact that not every job requires a college degree. And another aspect is partnering with educational institutions to create curriculums aligned to employers' talent needs. So I'm aware of employers in the construction and manufacturing industries who are working to effectively engage the community by partnering with local schools and educational institutions to build skills that are needed in their industries, combining education and work experience in a work-based learning model. We've seen some movement toward this in, in Wichita, and I've heard it's very effective, but we just need to do more of it and promote the opportunities. Only one in 10 jobs in this country require an advanced degree. Two require a university degree, and the remaining 70% require a high school diploma, a one-year certificate, or a two-year community college degree. So college isn't necessary for everyone, but it's often promoted as the only option after high school. In terms of promoting the 70% of other opportunities and alternative career paths than jobs requiring four-year or more degrees, we have to do more to communicate how important and how rewarding a non-college degreed career can be. It's all in the messaging. Think back to the client I described earlier, the manufacturer that makes a product that has the potential to save lives. If I asked a school-aged kid to name a career that helps save lives, they would likely say the traditional answers, doctor, nurse, firefighter, paramedic. I doubt any of them would say a welder on a manufacturing line. But if that welder on the manufacturing line doesn't do his or her part, then that product fails and people may die. And this may be an extreme example, but it's a very important example. We have to change the messaging and the perception about working in blue-collar or non-degreed roles. Not everybody gets to build the future. Employees who work in manufacturing and construction do. As I was driving to work this week, I took an alternate route and went by the construction site that I usually avoid, but I noticed significant progress on the road construction, and I thought, wow, it must be really rewarding to literally see the progress of your hard work materialize. But do those workers see that? Do, do they understand how important that is, that they're building the future? 
for some time working in these industries hasn't been seen as the most desirable field. But for many, they can find a very successful and lucrative career by taking the technical route that doesn't involve a traditional college education. And when they do, they're less likely to start their careers saddled with student loan debt. We have to do more to educate our youth about the potential opportunities they have working in careers that don't send them directly to college. But we have to start young. Waiting till high school is too late. There's an opportunity to engage middle and even elementary school students, and maybe more importantly, their parents, to see that there are great career opportunities in manufacturing and construction or technical, technically skilled careers. Earlier this year, I spoke with an HR professional who used to work in Nebraska, and she said they had career fairs targeting middle and elementary school students and their parents to show them what a career path in manufacturing could look like. They felt they had to start in elementary school because even in middle school, it might be too late to get them to consider manufacturing. We have to engage the students at a young age to get them interested in careers and technical positions. And parents are equally or even more important in this process. It's human nature to want your children to do better than you, to have more, to be more. We have to show parents that their children can have all of those things in a technical career track too. It doesn't have to be college. Remember, 70% of the jobs in this country don't require a college degree. So sending kids along a technical pathway may give them a more competitive advantage. Yet only one in three parents said that they would encourage their child to pursue a career in manufacturing. One way to um, change that perception is to get teachers on board with um, routing students that way. And um, one example I heard of was to hire teachers in the summer. So I read about a smaller, only about 60 employees in a manufacturing company in Minnesota. And they hire teachers for two weeks in the summer, um, kind of just to give them a real overview and information about the company, but pay them to do so. And then those teachers go back and they can communicate the value of those different kinds of jobs to their students. Many communities also have successful STEM organizations that help spread the word for these types of jobs and apprenticeships can also be an eye-opening for um, high school students, so consider those options as well. The other side of community engagement is working with local educational institutions to encourage them to have the programs needed to build tomorrow's workforce. And not just the programs to build the skills, but the information to direct individuals to the careers that are needed. Understanding our community's needs and population can help with that. We have to also get that information out to the people who are talking to students about their career paths. For example, let's say I work as an admissions counselor at a local technical college, and I may have 50 people in a semester tell me they want to be a fitness trainer. And I may say, that's great. Let me show you the classes you'll need for that. But what if the market is saturated with fitness trainers? Wouldn't I be better off letting the student know that and possibly steering the student to a career that actually has a job market at the end of it? What if instead of being a fitness trainer, I let them know that there's a real shortage of physical therapy assistance and that might be a better program option for them with current market demands? These are the types of conversations that employers and community development agencies and educational institutions need to be having in order to make sure the future workforce needs are being met. And finally, having a positive community image can help. This can tie back to that why statement. What is the purpose? Why are we here? 
putting your name out in the community as a great employer will position your company well when you have an open house or career fair or open job. If you have a particular program that engages in hiring women or minorities or veterans or individuals with disabilities, those are all things to promote in your organization that may get you exposed to some applicants that wouldn't normally have considered you as an option. So how are you engaging in your community? We're going to go ahead and move to our next poll question before we head to the final portion of the webinar. And some different options here. You can select more than one, I believe. Um, in what ways does your organization engage the community, uh, host open houses, participate in career fairs, work with schools, or focus on hiring veterans or doing other things? And if you're doing other things, uh, you can put those into the chat box if you wanted to share those and, and give some other ideas of what you're doing there. Mix of activities. Some of you host open job houses. A lot of you do career fairs or are already working with schools, so that's great. Um, some of you focusing on hiring veterans. And if those of you that input others want to go ahead and give some of those suggestions, we may read some of those back at the end of the webinar. All right, so last piece that we're going to talk about, other than those high-level strategies for making your workplaces more attractive for both current and prospective employees, are just some of those other considerations you need to think about in terms of hiring and uh, retention. So an employee's relationship with their manager is most often cited as the reason employees leave companies. And think of the four main topics we discussed today. Understanding and being able to communicate why the work employees do is important in creating a company culture to sustain it. Having employees who are highly engaged in the work that they do, providing learning and development opportunities to employees, and engaging with the community. The first three are certainly influenced by management. The community engagement piece may be less so in some management areas, but good managers, at, and especially at a senior level, are involved in that piece too. If you're not engaging your managers in discussions and training on not only how to manage, but also how to lead, then you're not doing your job as a business or HR leader, and you're missing out on a great opportunity. Having good managers definitely gives you an advantage in the competition for talent. Employees leave managers, not companies, especially your employees with great talent or your high performers. They don't want to work for a manager who doesn't manage and who doesn't lead. You have to have managers on board who can do both. And if your current managers aren't engaging your employees, figure out what the issue is. Do they need additional training and development? Do, are there different needs that you can get to to help your managers be more effective in their roles? That's a big consideration there. And then as you think about how you actually recruit, what does your process look like, you'll want to really take a good look at that. Is it inviting and engaging? Is it cumbersome? You know, the benefits of using an autom automated application system are great, but if the process is really cold or cumbersome, you might lose good applicants who don't want to retype their resume into your designated boxes or may have very good related experience, but they get screened out through your automated process or those screeners that you put on there. People want to interact with humans and have that personal touch through the process. So you've got to balance that um, technology-enabled side with the human side. You want to consider is your hiring process the right process? Is it efficient? The average time to hire a white-collar position is 68 business days. 
can you be more efficient so that your candidates don't lose interest or don't take another job? What could you do to make it more efficient? And there are several things that just, you know, real quick here, make sure you and the manager are in, in agreement with the job requirements and qualifications. So sometimes that disconnect can cause delays in hiring. Uh, make sure you identify what's required versus preferred. Sometimes we're looking for that perfect candidate that just doesn't exist as a hiring manager, but um, you can set those expectations up ahead of time. You want to make sure that um, the interviewing takes place and is a priority for the hiring manager and others that are involved. Um, consider how many interviews are really necessary. Do you need to have a string of interviews or can you really get to it in just one or two? And you may have different answers to some of those questions for different positions that you're trying to fill. Entry level might look different than a high-level senior leader or even a mid-level manager position. Each position will be different, so you have to consider if you're using the right tactics to find the best employees. For some positions, we're used to taking a regional or national approach to hiring, but in this age of globalization, it may be important to do that for all of your positions or talent at all levels and not just the top executives as we think about expanding that recruitment area beyond the current local market. Networking is also really important. Everywhere you go with everyone you meet, you're an ambassador for your company. You never know when the person you met six months ago at a casual event may turn out to be your next employee or know someone that will be a perfect fit. Make sure you're getting out there and representing your company well. Having a social media presence is also important, but you have to understand your target employment audience. Are they Facebook users? Do they tweet? Do they post photos? Are they more likely to look just at your website? Figure out where your audience is and find a way to reach them. You have to be a little bit of a marketing expert in this case, so think about that. Your potential applicants are consumers, and you are selling them a job at your company. What's your brand? Connects back to the why, that culture. Where do you find candidates? Where do you market to them? How do you reach them? You need to go to where they are. For some positions, you may even need to use a recruiter or a temporary staffing agency. And having those connections built ahead of when you need them can be essential for filling a role quickly or when you're in a pinch. So make sure you're establishing those relationships early on. Onboarding is another area where you want to make sure you're sending the right message. So making an employee feel welcome on their first day, that first week, the first month, and beyond can really make or break their connection with your organization. 31% of new hires quit a job within the first six months of employment, and 16% of those left within the first week, according to a Bamboo HR survey. Some of the onboarding basics are so simple, but when they're overlooked, they can cause a candidate to second guess or even regret their decision to come be an employee of yours. Make sure you're introducing your employee to people, that they have a lunch buddy at least the first day, and most importantly, that the manager is there and ready for them had someone tell me that their manager was on vacation the week they started, and it, and it just created all kinds of disconnect. It's a good idea to check in with new employees at key points, so that first week or 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and even if it's not a formal process or questionnaire, just ensure that they have what they need and feel like what you sold them in that job is what they're getting. If not, you have the opportunity to correct that if you address it early. If you don't, they're probably already looking for something else. And get creative with your onboarding. It doesn't have to be boring. A colleague of mine shared a news story with me recently about his friend's company that put together a card deck 
with key things that new employees needed to know. And their task in orientation was to find all of their cards to make the complete deck. That meant they had to go talk to different people and find information, learn things. If you'd like the link to that article, you can send me a request for that and I'll send you the link. It was a really different approach and interesting. On the previous slide, I mentioned the importance of hiring good managers. It is so critical to have them trained on your hiring and onboarding processes as well to make sure they can move quickly in hiring. Training doesn't have to stop there, though. Having managers who are equipped in those soft skills needed to manage well is an ongoing and important task. Making sure your managers can manage in a way to engage your employees in alignment with your established culture to reach your organization uh, excuse me, to reach your organization's why is really the way to win the war for talent. And as we discussed, it appears as though we're definitely back into that talent war again. So I just want to thank you for joining us today. I'm going to turn it back to Mike to um, close us out here in the webinar. So Carrie, the first question that we had come in, uh, they were wondering, are there creative options for sourcing candidates? Where can we actually find people? Yeah, that's always a challenge, certainly. Um, word of mouth is a good place to start, so making sure that your employer brand speaks for you. Um, employee referrals can be a good source sometimes. If you have employees that um, know other people in other companies, they, they tend to do that. Um, mention having that strong brand, that presence in the marketplace, just being known so employees look to you when they're looking for a job mentioned in the webinar that online or social media presence that's becoming more and more important over time. And then one interesting tactic I would say just going where employees are. So you have to be a little bit of a detective to understand where people that you would want to hire hang out, interact. I've seen um, suggestions for billboards. So you could post a job along the highway or things like that. So you've got to get creative and, and really think about how you could reach your employees or potential employees in a different way. All right, thanks. Uh, the other question that came in is you mentioned that compensation has to be fair. What are some ways to know if it is fair? I always recommend that um, organizations do market studies every two to three years at least. Um, pay is one of those things that you've got to get right before you're even in the game. So that has to be something that you want to make sure you're competitive on. And that's actually um, something we're talking about in a webinar in October. So you might want to check that one out on AGH University and we'll be addressing total compensation in that one. Great. We had um, a couple of people list, or actually it was one person who listed a couple of the recruiting tactics they provided. I was just going to read them off to you and get your feedback on them real quick. One that they listed is their local county commission works with eight manufacturing plants in the area to host senior seminars where they, I'm assuming where senior high school seniors tour the facility to learn about the companies and what they do to get hired. And then another one is, is within the schools, they stress college and career, uh, both options right out of high school. Yeah, I, I think those are great. Those senior seminars would be a good way to get um, people into jobs immediately, but they might want to even go younger than that, so starting in middle school or sometimes even elementary school. And make sure you bring the parents along. It's really important to have their interaction, especially in the generations that we're seeing that are younger right now.